This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Welcome to the Black Hereford Chronicles with Jen Hill. Join me for insightful conversations and interviews about our cattle industry. Here we discuss the shared struggles and successes of this life we've chosen as ranchers. Here, we seek to learn from the experts around us, eager to grow and challenge the accepted. Here we are, the Black Hereford Chronicles. Stop for a second and listen. Sunday, December 10th is the day. The debut of the signature Black Hereford sale at Ag Sale Day. 29 lots of exceptional cattle, semen, and embryo packages offered by Smith Black Hereford and a few special guests. Don't panic. You don't have to make plans for this weekend. Just make sure that come Sunday, you are in service and have Ag Sale Day ready to go. Bidding opens at 7 a.m. and has a racehorse-style ending. Longtime Black Hereford breeders and association supporters, Smith Black Herefords are offering the chance for you to get in on some purple ribbon genetics and their philosophy of breeding with the three Ps, pedigree, performance, and phenotype. The lots are up on Ag Sale Day. All you've got to do is head over to agsaleday.com and search for Signature Black Hereford. There you'll find all the lot information. Do it early so you're registered and ready to click bid on Sunday. And boy, if you're looking for some banners to hang under your ranch name, make sure you take a look at lot number one, SBH Honky Tonk Flame 36 ET. She's got the three Ps. Pedigree? Yep, she's at a Bar Star Fresh Prince 018 ET and SCC One Night Stand 1950. Performance? She's 10th percentile weaning and yearling weights. And phenotype? Well, you're going to have to go look at that lot over at Ag Sale Day to appreciate what she's got going. Don't forget, you can find all sorts of information about the lots over at the Smith Black Hereford Facebook page. Have questions? You can reach Jacob at 641-521-9947 or Mark at 641-521-0797. The Signature Black Hereford Sale Sunday, December 10th on agsaleday.com. Don't miss it. Thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Black Hereford Chronicles. I am going to take the show in kind of a different direction today and cover a topic that I don't think I've really ever heard anyone talk about, but it's something that definitely impacts our industry and impacts the way we do business. And so I've got Sammy Segelke here, and I'm sure you're going to correct me if I butchered that. That was perfect. <laughs> so we are kind of going to talk about some of the ins and outs of the way the law impacts what we're doing and just some of the different things that we as producers should have in mind when we're inviting people out to our operations, when we're doing those normal things that we do to conduct our seed stock business 
and the way that the law plays into or should be or shouldn't be playing into those decisions that we make. So, Sammy, will you start off by just giving us a little bit of your background and who you are? Yeah, absolutely. First, thanks for having me. Um, So I grew up in the Sandhills of Nebraska. I uh, then went to Shadron State College for my undergrad, ran track there, um, and then moved to the big big city of Lincoln um, to attend law school. I've been um, practicing law since 2019, and I practice um, at Rembolt Ludke Law Firm here in Lincoln. Um, General practice areas are business transactions transactions, um, and estate planning and probate. So I essentially handle anything from like a business sale and purchase to real estate deals, um, and even like business succession planning and estate planning. Um, I'd say one of the things I enjoy most about my practice is getting to work with farmers and ranchers from out state Nebraska, greater Nebraska, if you will, um, to help them develop and navigate a plan to pass on their family operations, um, to the next generation. And so um, a little bit about Rumbolt Ludke, just generally, we have about 32 attorneys. Um, we have an office in both Lincoln and Seward, Nebraska, um, but we actually have clients from all 93 counties. So um, that's just a little tidbit of information that we like to throw in. Um, we handle all types of matters. Um from litigation to transactional, the only things we don't do are criminal law and patents because um, we don't have a patent attorney. Um, and then we also have attorneys that are licensed to practice in Iowa, Colorado, and South Dakota, along with Nebraska. Well, so in another hat that I wear, I also work with UNL Extension with their yeah. ag program. And you could do, I mean, weeks and weeks on the estate and transition planning stuff that you do. Yes, for sure. I was going to say that's that's another topic for another day. But Absolutely. Could, what important work hours. there, though. So my hat's <laughs> off to you, because as a generational rancher, I also see the importance of that from that angle. So hats sure. off to you on that one. Today, I want to start off by talking about farm visits. It's something that in our operations, we're all doing. We're constantly trying to get people out to our operations to look at our cattle, right? To look at the bulls we've got for sale. Right. But you always hear horror stories. <laughs> about all things that could go wrong, right? From your perspective, are there any special considerations for liability that we need to be thinking about when we've got someone out looking at livestock on our operation? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. So generally speaking, any sort of um, liability claim from a legal perspective is likely going to be brought under um, a theory of negligence. And so that is on the civil side of things. So we're not talking criminal, only civil here, where essentially your um, reward or your recovery would be um, money. Monetary damages are what's essentially out there. So let's say you you invite someone onto uh, the farm or ranch and um, livestock, something happens, someone gets trampled, someone gets kicked. Um, Those would be your kind of major risks. There would be um, kind of two classifications of risks. One would be physical injury. So what we just talked about. Um, And then another risk would be someone coming onto the farm and actually contracting like a zoonotic disease. Um, So maybe something that we don't think about as often, but Oh yeah. Way to scare me about things that hadn't (laughs) kept me up at night yet. (laughs) 
Yeah. So, I mean, those damages um, would likely be, you know, far exceed anything that we would see in the physical injury context. Um, But for purposes of today, let's just talk about the physical injuries Um, that could happen. So back up, what the claim would be brought under would be under a theory of negligence. What is negligence? Um, It's basically just when someone, a landowner, fails to do what a reasonably prudent person um, under the same or similar circumstances would do. So oftentimes when you're inviting someone onto your property, if something were to happen, um, the theory of negligence would be a premises liability claim. I'm throwing out a lot of big words, so I'll try to, to provide some definitions there. But so a premises liability claim is you've brought someone onto your property um, and there's, you know, something that could go wrong, something that could injure them. And so what are your duties as a landowner um, to warn that person um, about the potential danger, if you will? Um, So that depends on how the person is classified when they come onto your farm. And so this is just generally speaking, of course, it depends on what state you're in um, as state laws vary. But generally speaking, um, parties are classified into three separate groups. Um, And so those start at trespassers. Um, That's not really the situation here. You're inviting them onto your land, so they're not trespassing. Um, But generally, a landowner owes the least amount of duty to a trespasser. Um, We won't really expand on that too much as (laughs) you're, like I said, you're inviting these people onto your property. So the next two classes are licensees and invitees. Um, And this is important because how the person that you invite onto your property is classified determines what your duty to them as a landowner is, um, generally speaking, of course. So essentially, if that person comes onto the property and they're not providing any benefit to you as the landowner, they're considered a licensee. So you'd have a higher duty of care to that person than you would to a trespasser, but a lower duty of care that you would to an invitee. And an invitee is generally someone you bring on the land and there it's a mutual benefit or a business situation. Right. Um, So I'd say most often farm visitors would likely fall into the category of invitee. You're inviting them onto your property for a business purpose. You're hoping that they'll look at your cattle and then, you know, purchase something from that. And so there you'd have kind of the highest duty of care. And you essentially just have to make sure that your land is reasonably safe and you're warning those invitees of potential dangers. Um, And so what are the potential dangers? That would be, of course, in the cattle industry, you know, hey, look, don't become, don't come in direct contact with the cattle, have a fence in place to for them to view the cattle. Um, don't allow them to enter the pen unless you've provided, you know, adequate warning of the, the fact is, you know, ranchers are around these situations all the time. And so they're aware of the, the risks that are, you know, associated with livestock, but it really becomes an issue when you're inviting someone onto your property that may not be aware of the issues, you know, and the risks that are inherent with cattle. And so 
there's lots of specific, you know, Nebraska laws, including like agritourism laws. So if you're inviting people on your farm or ranch just to do a tour of it, um, there's agritourism laws that would help curtail liability for the landowners, um, but those don't generally apply to inherent risks. And included in inherent risks would be cattle trampling someone or someone getting kicked. So it it really comes down to what state you're in and how you would classify the owner. Um, but generally, I'd say, you know, do what you can to warn them of any, you know, potential danger and make sure that the, the area is reasonably safe for them. And perhaps have really good insurance. That is exactly right. Yes. So the <laughs> insurance is, you know, going to be the key factor here, um, especially if someone were to file a negligence claim against you. Um, and so, yes, it's always good to have an umbrella policy in place um, on top of your, you know, just general casualty and property insurance. And so um, it's also important to know what exactly that umbrella policy covers. And so, um, I mean, that's something we can get into if you want, but it gets, you know, more technical there. Pretty weedy. Uh, yes, for sure. Schrader's Black Herefords have been longtime sponsor of this show and a wonderful supporter of all things Black Hereford. The Schrader family has been deeply committed to improving Black Herefords for many years, whether it's involvement in national or state associations, promoting the breed at all sorts of events, helping to guide new producers, or diligently improving their own herd, working to lift the entire breed. Schrader's Black Herefords are doing it. Drawing on generations of cattle knowledge while building a legacy for those that follow, Schrader's have proven their commitment to quality cattle, backed by data, and to the American Black Hereford. The proof of that commitment is evident in their cattle. With the philosophy that seeks to focus on the maternal and carcass traits producers need, traits that are backed up by intense data collection, by reporting, it's no wonder that they have grown a loyal customer base, coming back each year to pull those Schrader Black Herford genetics into their herds. If you're looking for a serious operation, an operation that's all in for quality, look at Schrader's Black Herefords. Schraders are taking reservations on Springborn calves now, so get on the ball and check them out. You can call Jason at 573-680-1439 or check out their website, Schraders, that's S-C-H-R-O-E-D-E-R-S, Black Herefords, all one word, dot com, where you'll find a wealth of knowledge about more than just their operation, but about Black Herefords in general. And don't forget to follow them on Facebook. Okay. So another one I have for you, and this is something I never thought I would see, but in the fun that is social media, mm -hmm. it's been popping up a lot lately. When people go for tours of someone else's operation, it, you know, it's, it's 2023. So they're pulling out their phone and they're taking pictures and they're taking videos. When you're taking pictures of someone else's livestock, it could be you know, a high dollar bill bull that this person is hoping to sell down the road or that they're selling semen on something like that. And they post that picture on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. It's not always in the friendliest light, right? The way an animal is standing can really impact how it looks in a photo. The way the lighting is can really impact how it looks in the photo. 
on the flip side, you know, your photo hasn't been photoshopped and that maybe impacts how that animal looks in that photo. And so there's some discussion about whether there could be potential litigation over someone taking unflattering photos of your livestock and posting them on social media. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So I would say, um, generally if you're being invited onto private property and someone's private operation, those, uh, that landowner, that cattle producer has generally has a right to privacy. Um, and so when it comes to, you know, that right of privacy, if you take a photo that, and they have the rights to the photo because you're on their land, um, and it's their product. Um, what happens if you share that photo and, you know, like you said, it's not in the best light, I would say, um, generally to kind of head that off at the pass, see if they will give you verbal consent to, you know, take a photo and share it. Um, if you want to be really safe, I think a written release would be the best option. Um, you know, we're not, I, I get the situation. You're out on the ranch. You see the, the cattle, you snap a photo. It's not like you're just carrying a release around with you. Um, but maybe before you post that photo, you know, just shoot them an email and say, Hey, do we have your consent to, to release this and, and share that it's, you know, your animal. Um, so there is certainly a right to privacy there and certainly a question of, you know, whose product is that? And so I think that's something to keep in mind before posting someone else's, you know, property in a photo on social media. I'd imagine that a lot of the questions you get asked in your job could be kind of summed up with like, Hey, don't be a jerk. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I think that's fair. (laughs) If all parties could just be reasonable, then I wouldn't ever be needed. Right. (laughs) Okay. On the sale side, it's time to make a sale. Yeah. Private treaty. Any special considerations when you don't have an auctioneer, when you're not running through a sale barn, right? When you have people coming out to your operation, which is how a lot of seed stock animals are sold in this country. A lot of guys are still doing it by handshake. Mm Mm-hmm. Are there any special considerations with making those private treaty sales that either the seller or the buyer should be thinking about? Yeah. So the private treaty basically just comes down to a matter of contract, right? Do we want to do a handshake deal or is this a situation where we think we need the terms to be more particularly defined? Um, And so I would say as your operation grows or gets bigger and and you're dealing with people um, that you're maybe less familiar with or don't have that, you know, just innate relationship with um, something that we would consider uh, or we would advise you to consider is whether the use of an actual written contract could be beneficial to you. Um, and so just, you know, determining what are the terms of the contract and what pieces you're willing to negotiate. Is this something where you can use more of a form contract with multiple buyers? Um, is it a situation where we need to tailor it to the specific, you know, deal? Um, but really it just comes down to it being a matter of contract and what would be enforceable, um, with respects to, you know, having a, an oral or a handshake deal and 
again, that comes down to specific state laws. Um, and so we'd always advise, you know, reach out to an attorney, let them know what your situation is, talk them through that. And then they can advise you on the specific points that would either need to be in a written contract or, hey, we think this specific thing could be enforceable um, as an oral contract. And, and here's the terms that are important to get down. So that may not be that helpful other than to say, you know, it's a good idea for everyone to to have an attorney that knows the state laws and knows, you know, contract matters and, and can help with that. Could all that be kind of tied into a bill of sale? Most of us are pretty familiar with doing those just for transportation purposes. Mm-hmm. You know, you're hauling a bull around. It's helpful to have that in case you have to prove an inspection. Could Could that language be included in that? Um, I would say as a matter of course, we would want the bill of sale to be like an exhibit in a contract. Um, but that's not, you know, that doesn't mean that it couldn't all be listed out in a bill of sale. So I would say generally what I think should be included in a bill of sale um, would be the name and address of the buyer, the name and address of the seller, the date of the sale, the price that has been agreed upon, any information about the livestock, you know, the number of livestock that are being sold, the class, the age, the sex, the weight, anything like that, Um, the final price that includes any deposits that were required the description of the livestock, any registry papers, vet clearance, plans for transportation. So, you know, if your bill of sale is truly that robust and includes all that information, you're hitting all, you know, a lot of those key terms that would be in the contract. Um, The things that the contract would kind of bolster would be, you know, what happens if something goes wrong, and the animal dies or um, something happens in transportation or the money didn't exchange hands when it was supposed to. You know, a lot of those situations where the handshake deals don't really cover. And so um, what's the recourse or what's the course of action? Um, That would be what the contract would, would be a benefit there for. Well, and I'll tell you, it is not easy to repossess a cow. I mean, it's, it's done, but it's not like going up and it's parked out front and you hook up and drive off. (laughs) Yeah. And it's also hard, you know, with livestock being obviously living, breathing animals, um, you know, what type of liens are against that, that specific animal who has a lien, who has priority. Um, and so all of those things come into, into consideration, especially if you need to go and get that animal back. Um, and so, yeah, that can pose a lot of other problems that a contract in theory could at least aid in that process of getting something back. Well, and I know on the surface, some of this sounds kind of silly when you're, you know, just imagining a commercial operator with his, you know, black baldies out in the field. But when we're talking about the seed stock side of things, mm-hmm. we see bulls, you know, there's a bull two years ago, just down the road from me a little way that sold for over a half a million dollars. And when you're talking about that kind of money in a live animal, I think it really makes sense to be thinking through some of these contract considerations and and going beyond that typical handshake. Right. Yes, I definitely agree with that. And 
I know everyone, you know, wants to think the best and hope that everything is going to work out. Um, but I would say you're the, the best thing that you could do as an operator is to, um, get a good contract in place, uh, prior to the deal actually happening. So all of the issues happen after the deal has been done. Right. And if you don't have a contract in place, you don't really have much to fall back on. Um, so if you can spend the time and the resources and, um, get something taken care of upfront, you're going to be a lot in a lot better position on the back end. Um, and that's exactly what you're talking about, you know, with the handshake deals, you're not doing anything up front. And so you're, you're coming back on the back end, trying to, to see what you can recover. Whereas if you just did the work up front and had the contract in place, you're going to, you're going to be better off in the long run. I wanted to ask you about sale catalogs. (laughs) When we all make our first sale catalog, we wind up copying and pasting from Is there any special consideration? Everybody kind of puts in a little thing about herd health and a breeding guarantee, and they're all kind of the same. But I don't know that it, that's actually been thought through. <laughs> I sure. think we we just, you know, roll with what we've always seen. Are there any recommendations that you would have for putting in a sale catalog to specifically make sure you're protecting yourself? Yeah. So generally speaking, I would say the guarantees that are in a sale catalog will, you know, typically be governed by, um, it's either a matter of contract or warranties. Uh, Warranties in this space are generally going to be governed, governed by the uniform commercial code and the UCC. And so, um, you know, if you're going to provide a warranty or a guarantee that is greater than what you're required to by the UCC, um, you want to make sure that you can actually guarantee that. And you also want to make sure that the guarantees that you're providing in your sale catalog are consistent throughout whatever other materials you're providing the buyer. So um, I would say just kind of two takeaways there would be one, make sure you actually know what's in the sales catalog. Um, yes. Because if you're making a guarantee um, and you're not actually acting on it or, you know, it's not happening and then something comes back on you, um, you know, that's, that's an issue in and of itself. And that um, happens so often, I think, yeah. because a lot of us outsource that catalog. Right. You just glaze over that language and then it comes back on you. You know, you have a bull that breaks down real quick. Somebody calls you up and says, well, it, you know, it says in here, you'll give me replacement value. So, and you don't know. Yep. That's exactly right. So yes, just read through those agreements. If you as the operator don't want to read through those agreements, hire someone to do it, whether that's an attorney, whether that's, you know, family member, whoever, um, just make sure that you're actually reading what you're guaranteeing um, and then making sure that that language is consistent throughout all of your materials. So if you do end up having a written agreement um, or a bill of sale and you have in warranties or guarantees in those, make sure that's consistent with your uh, sale catalog. This show is also supported by the wonderful Walters Cattle Farms down in Kentucky. Walters Cattle is home to Robert and Sandy Walters, who have been long-standing supporters of all things American Black Hereford. They've got legacy bloodlines and a commitment to the breed and really are an operation and really, frankly, a wonderful set of people that you should be familiar with. Their muscling and depth are traits your cattle should be better acquainted with. You can find Walters Cattle Farms on Facebook 
or give Robert a call at 270-832-1180. Okay, I want to talk for just a minute about cooperator herd agreements. We've seen a growth in cooperator herds in people, in seed stock operators essentially renting commercial cows to carry their embryos. You know, in times when grass is hard to come by and and cows are, are few and far between, there's a lot of money being exchanged in that market right now. And it, a lot of that comes back to what we were talking about earlier with those handshake agreements. But as they grow in popularity, some things I've seen some things get kind of dicey. So if you are going to make a cooperative herd agreement, would you recommend making a contract? Are there any special considerations with that sort of agreement that people should be keeping in mind? Yes, absolutely. So I'll get on my high horse for a minute again, which I've, which I've already kind of talked about. Um, but it's always better to be proactive than reactive in these situations. If you can get a contract in place early um, and get those key terms kind of nailed down, um, all the parties are going to you know, fare, fare better in the end than if it's up in the air or it's a handshake agreement. Um, so yes, I would say it's always great or better to have a contract and a contract that's in writing. Um, and the, the whole purpose of that is to lay out each party's duties um, and expectations. So just like you said, oftentimes these type of arrangements can tie up a lot of capital. And so you want to know, you know, exactly what you're agreeing to. So what are the methods for the cattle care? Um, you know, what are what practices are going to be used to raise the cattle? How much feed or grass needs to be available? Um, you know, setting out that from the beginning and setting up those expectations, it's going to make, you know, the parties better off in the long run. So I would say absolutely a good idea to get a contract and get it in writing. Um, and you can vet those out. You can, you know, get one kind of form agreement and then things can be tweaked, uh, you know, for separate agreements that you have maybe with different parties. Um, but yes, I would definitely recommend getting those early and often. <laughs> would something like that need to be notarized or is just the two signatures good enough? Yeah. So generally in Nebraska, the contracts don't need to be notarized. That of course is specific to Nebraska. It's certainly up to the parties, whether they want to require that. Um, but generally speaking, no. And a lot of times we're seeing people even use DocuSign now. Um, and so electronic signatures are becoming more and more popular. And so, um, it's, it's pretty easy to get, you know, a, a written contract in place with technology the way it is now. Um, and so no, no notary specific. Perfect. Well, Sammy, I really appreciate you taking time out today to go over some of these things with us. I know that it's not the most exciting of topics, but it, it is something that we don't think about. And that's really been one of the goals of this program is to encourage producers to be very intentional, even about those little things like the language you put in your sale catalog. Because at the end of the day, those little things can really come back and bite you in the butt. So I really appreciate that you were so willing to come on and kind of go over some of these things. Thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for having me. And if anyone ever has any questions, um, feel free to share my contact information with them. I'd love to um, help you out and get some contracts in place for you guys. <laughs> Perfect. And I will put that in the show notes. So if you'd like to get a hold of Sammy, just take a look at the show notes. Awesome. Thanks, Jen. Thanks for listening. 
You can get in on the conversation over at our Facebook page at Black Hereford Chronicles, where we'd love to hear from you. Of course, don't forget to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 